So, Will. Yes. This week we watched a movie from Chile. And I've noticed every time I watch movies from outside of basically countries I've lived in, there's something that just throws me off where I feel like I'm missing something or something that just confuses me. And this one reminded me, I have seen movies in many languages at this point. Every single one uses the word okay. It's in Parasite. That is the strangest global cultural connection because my favorite part is no one knows where okay comes from. And now it's like the most ubiquitous word in the world. It's very clear and it gets the job done. And one thing I love is when languages adapt it to their language. So in Chinese, one of the ways you ask like yes or no or like did you or did you not do this is verb, no, verb. So you'll say like duebu due or means yes or no. And then it's like, did you go swimming? You could say yobu yo yong. And I've heard people in Chinese movies say obu okay. So they've taken okay and just like completely morphed it to the Chinese grammar. And I'm always, I love it. It's one of those things where it's just like sounds. So it can kind of, and it's got a pretty simple meaning. So it's easy to transpose. And I, I guess those phonemes must exist in like every language. The like O, K, and A, or ah, because every language uses it. It's weird. It's strange. I love it. I feel like the thing that always strikes me when I'm watching movies is that I don't understand money outside of, like, the U.S., Canada, and Western Europe, and I only kind of understand pounds. (laughs) So, anytime I'm watching a movie set outside those regions, and they talk about an amount of money, I have a hard time telling if it's supposed to be a lot or not. Like, there's a scene in the movie we looked at this week where Daniela Vega is looking at the stuff a guy has put on a table. And what she's really focused on is this key that he's put down. But I was paying attention to, like, wow, he just put down a $20,000 bill. I don't know if that's a lot. Is he bribing her? Like, is this a turn the movie is taking? And it never got addressed, so I was like, maybe it's not. (laughs) So how much would that be? Well, I'm really bad at math, um, but it would be... 20,000 divided by 750 because one dollar is 750 pesos so like oh so this is like four exactly like you could i mean i just went to the grocery store and all the time i'd buy like candy and it was thousands of pesos it was awesome i always felt like a mafia man in indonesia you go to the atm and to get you know 50 dollars you know, you're spending money for a few days. It's a million rupiah. You have to type in like one million rupiah. Wild. See, I just need like whoever designs the subtitles for these movies to just write next to the money, like floating on the screen. This is four bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go back to not understanding the pound. I can't believe that the pound wasn't decimalized until like the late 70s. Until the late yeah. 70s, they were like 12 pennies to a shilling and there's like 40 shillings to a pound and they use that amount until the 70s no way it's insane so in our parents lifetime they would still have prices in like one pound 2s 3d for like a pound two shillings and three pennies three pence or something It's insane. I just don't know how you keep track of all that. Like, I have hard enough time dealing with just dollars. Like, I don't know how I would handle it. Well, you've got to think about a monetary system that is consistent with all of the other English measurements. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And by consistent, I mean entirely its own thing because there is no consistency between them. That's a good point. 
I didn't think about it that way. Yeah, I guess Imperial Units really puts that in perspective, too. <laughs> 12 inches to a foot. 5,280 fo- feet to a mile. That's it. it very interesting. Um, one of the things that I got really shocked by, so I lived in Santiago for a summer during grad school, and one of the things that is so clearly culturally ubiquitous there is Chilean's love for Jack in the Box. Like, you cannot go a block without seeing a jack-in-the-box. And, like, all of everyone serves, like, all the delivery places, like, their top billing is jack-in-the-box. Like, people love jack-in-the-box. That's, like, the one... I have never had jack-in-the-box. I was gonna say, that's, like, the one fast food restaurant I've never been to. I've been to... It's one of those ones, like, you're on Sporkle, and it has all the logos, and you get all of them but one, and you're like, what is this? And you quit, and it says it's jack-in-the-box, and you're like, I'm not 100% sure that's real. (laughs) I've been to... Carl's Jr. and Hardee's and Red Robin and like anything that you can name except for Jack in the Box. I people just love it. I think maybe they had like struck a deal with Chile and we're like, this is this is the fast food restaurant we're gonna get. Like this is where you get your hamburgers. Yeah, if they entered the market early enough, like before McDonald's and Burger King saturated it, it's kind of like how KFC was the first to go into China. And that's all you see now. Yeah. But it was upsetting to not have that cultural touchstone, like, be the center of this movie. Like, this movie should be, like, named after and all about Jack in the Box. Like, the restaurant that Marina works at should be a Jack in the Box. box. (laughs) Because then it would be, like, a true Chilean experience. Like, this is just inaccurate. Do they have, like, servers at Jack in the Box there? One of my favorite things is fast food restaurants that are fancier in other countries. Well, yeah. I mean, they're way fancier than the ones I would imagine here. But also, I've never seen a Jack in the Box in (laughs) the U.S. (laughs) No one has ever been to an American Jack in the Box. I could not tell you (laughs) what the Jack in the Box experience is like in this country. So I guess we can't really (laughs) compare it. So it looks pretty nice. If you have been to an American Jack in the Box, please tweet at us with your experience with the hashtag, hashtag I know Jack. (laughs) And if you have pictures, amazing. Like we need details. Again, that's hashtag I know Jack. (laughs) Are there even any Jack in the Boxes nearby? Or is it Jack's in the Box? What is the proper I believe it's Jack's in the Box. It's like mother's in law. (laughs) Attorneys general. (laughs) Um, I do not believe there are any near DC. If there are, we can visit one post-pandemic, and you can let us know where it is with the hashtag, hashtag I know Jack. <laughs> Great. Oh, my God. I now really want to go to Jack in the Box for the first time in my life. We will record a live episode on the film The House That Jack Built in a Jack in the Box. Hashtag I know Jack. <laughs> what is The House That Jack Built? I feel like I've heard of this. It is a deeply unpleasant film. <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think of a restaurant with Henry's in the title so we can go record a live episode watching Book of Henry. I got nothing. I'm a failure. Anyway, welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast where sometimes we don't do Hollywood. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining one of the most important issues of our day, namely... Does Hollywood, or in this case, Chilean, romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what is there. And this week, we're looking at Sebastian Lalo's Oscar-winning drama, A Fantastic Woman, from 2017. And as we have already alluded to, Nick lived in Santiago, so we thought he would be an interesting addition to the show. Hello, Nick. Hi there. 
So I had not watched this movie before we watched it for the podcast, but you've seen it, right, Nick? Yeah, I've seen it. I saw it in theaters right when it came out, and I saw it also in a Spanish film class. Not, well, in Santiago, but somewhere else. Um, It's one of my favorite movies, and I remember, especially when I first went, I think I went with my parents, and I think they just didn't really get it. But as someone who's queer, like, I felt, like, really in touch with this film. And the fact that also it was, like, so up for, like, Oscar consideration was a big deal to me at the time. And I just remember, like, being absolutely floored by it. I also had drank, like, three glasses of wine before because in San Francisco you can get wine at the movie theater. So I think I also cried during it, for sure. (laughs) That's an innovation that I truly love the addition of alcohol to movie theaters great choice Mm -hmm. r.i.p movie theaters (laughs) it has made some movies much more bearable looking at you last christmas (laughs) i wish we had drunk during peter rabbit that's all i can say we will be able to when theaters reopen and peter rabbit the runaway comes out (laughs) are they waiting for movie theaters to open up the, the three of us saw peter rabbit together yeah. One day theaters will reopen. One day Peter Rabbit 2 The Runaway will be released and the three of us can reunite. Is it like for real they haven't released it because of movie yeah, theaters? Yeah, del- it was supposed to come out around Easter and they delayed it just like every movie got delayed. What? This is not the film I would imagine they would delay. Like it would be so good on Disney Plus. You know what I mean? It's not a Disney movie. Well, I know, but it would be perfect for that kind of platform. <laughs> I Yeah, maybe it could have competed with Trolls World Tour for highest grossing <laughs> video on demand and made $100 million. Uh, Peter Rabbit 2 The Runaway. I don't even remember what studio this is. Oh, it's a Sony movie. So is this one. <laughs> That's true. Well, this was distributed internationally by Sony Pictures Classics, who picked it up at the Berlin International Film Festival, where it premiered in February of 2017. And actually, at Berlin, it won the Silver Bear for Best Screenplay and the Teddy Award for Best LGBT Film. Teddy. It's <laughs> cute. Is that like Teddy Bear in English specifically, or is that named after someone else? Do you know? I, I think it's Teddy Bear, because all the awards at Berlin are bears. Like, the big award is the Golden Bear. The Screenplay Award is the Silver Bear. So I assume that Teddy is specifically referencing bears. That is a really good choice for awards. I think more of them should be shaped like animals, like the the lion in Venice. Right. I'm a fan. As opposed to, like, I guess the Oscar is shaped like an animal. It's just a less interesting one. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Having to reframe my thought process there. Here's the question, though. Is the Emmy shaped like an animal? Are angels animals? That's the question. Wow. No, no, no. That sounds like something that a medieval scholar would have spent his entire life debating amongst his own brain. I feel like we I could would've... find something in a bestiary somewhere. <laughs> I feel like I would have covered this in Catholic school. Like I think this is like a critical part. I've been in Catholic school my whole life, and I've never covered whether or not angels are animals. I think they're not because I think they're just spiritual beings. Yeah, I think so. How many angels can dance on the tip of a pin? And also. Are angels animals? (laughs) It is worth noting that this film did not just win two bears. It also won a person because it became Chile's first ever movie to win the Best Foreign Language Film Oscar, now called the Best International Film. Yay. Um, You were saying that there were protests against that in Chile. Yeah. Well, it was a bit, I mean, it was a bit complicated because there were, I mean, definitely people did not 
at the time it was under a different president than they currently have now and i mean it's still a very conservative country in a lot of ways and i think i mean transness as we can tell in this movie is very contentious so people wanted a different film i can't remember which one really wanted a different film nominated instead or like and then i mean but then it's like such a point of national pride now that i mean it's made huge changes in their like cultural fabric in terms of like how people view transness because it was such a big honor for the country it was actually broadcast on tv ahead Mm -hmm. of the oscars and was credited with helping to build a push for a bill in the legislature for trans rights Mm -hmm. important film exciting film it's so good yeah and it's directed by the same guy who directed Gloria Bell, I found out. Right, which was his English language remake of the movie he made, Gloria, which is what he made right before this. So if you really like Gloria Bell, you can also watch it in Spanish with different actors. I've heard it's very similar. Like, I've heard they're like, I've heard almost, it's almost a shot the same. shot remake. Yeah. But you don't get Julianne Moore, which, I mean, I'm sure the other actress is wonderful, but she's not Julianne Moore. No one is. <laughs> Except for... I guess Julianne Julianne Moore. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Julianne Moore's an imposter. I could be wrong, but I believe the only time we've discussed Julianne Moore is in Crazy Stupid Love. Mm, That's disappointing. I know. Crazy period, stupid period, love. It's commas. It's crazy stupid comma love, period. Damn it. It's like you didn't retain everything about that movie. (laughs) I retained absolutely nothing about that movie. If you asked me who was in it besides Steve Carell, I probably would struggle. I mean, the whole whole appeal of that movie was Gosling and Emma Stone. Yeah, that's why I watched it. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Kevin Bacon's in it. Oh, right. Forgot about that. So as part of this movie's success, Daniela Vega also became the first trans person to present at the Academy Awards, I learned. Yeah. Which is, took way too long. If any yes. of you haven't watched Disclosure yet on Netflix, mm. now would be a very good time to watch that too. They reference this movie in it. Yeah, we did not shout that one out on our mid-year check-in because we hadn't watched it yet. But it is well worth checking out. How did this do with the box office? It made about $2 million in the United States and another one point seven internationally. So for a okay. for a foreign language film, that's not a bad performance in the U.S. No, it's definitely trending up from what I've seen of foreign films. Yes, recently, which I am very happy about. It helps that last year we had movies like Parasite and Portrait of a Lady on Fire that had these big social media buildups to their release, and both of those in particular had. I mean, Parasite had an unbelievable theatrical run just for months in theaters, mm-hmm. and Portrait had its theatrical run cut a little bit by the pandemic, but had a really good per screen average while it was open. Great movies. I'm now I'm thinking about Portrait and I'm feeling depressed. <laughs> Both of those movies are on Hulu right now. Ooh. Hulu's crushing it. Yeah, it's the best. I really like Sebastian Lalo's aesthetics. Having seen this and Gloria Bell, I really like how he uses color. I feel both movies had slight moments of elevated realism, like hyper-realism that I really enjoyed. Well, sure, we have the like ghost of Orlando haunting the fringes of this movie. And the wind and the dance in the club are both really good moments mm-hmm. that just, you know, elevate. the. They're not like magical realism or anything, but they definitely help to elevate the movie. There is a sense of the surreal... I don't know what the adjective is, surreality of the days after a traumatic experience. 
like where you're constantly thinking about it and you like your brain just isn't with the real world and yet like so much of this movie is just like very real and raw so it's interesting to like be able to juxtapose those two like between you being super in your head and imagining the world as it isn't and like the way also that like perhaps this is her thinking back on this experience and like you know how your memories can totally play with you and like it probably felt like you know the wind was pushing against her and that she really had a wonderful magical circus dance in a club like because like what is even memory in times like this and mark i think you're right that color plays a big role in that where we see these really rich pinks and reds and blues during those more heightened moments and a lot of the other stuff takes place in broad daylight. We don't see many scenes after the opening sequence that take place at night. It's just out in sunlight. Death exposes who we are and who other people are. And I think the choice of sunlight is a very good and clear choice to kind of emphasize that. Like everything's coming to light in the movie. This was an appropriate tone change. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I loved this movie. Should we start talking about it some more? Yeah. We're taking a slightly different tack this week than just analyzing, you know, the traditional rom-com structure of like build up, date, fight, make up, happy ending. This is more about what happens around a relationship, which okay. is just as important as what happens in a relationship, I feel. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Nick, do you want to guide us through the points? Yeah, well, I think we can probably start off with, I guess, what would be if we were literally just covering the live romance of it, which would be the first about 15 minutes. Um, But it basically, the first point would be that they have a date, Orlando and Marina have a date where they're celebrating Marina's birthday. We find Orlando after his nice little schwitz and massage at Finlandia, the sauna. He goes up to where she's performing on a rooftop deck, um, which I've actually been to that bar. Um, Is it a good bar? It's fine. It's not like that. It's not that fun. Um, It's in a hotel, like a a super posh area. I gotta say, I really liked the song that your love is like yesterday's newspaper. Me too. I was talking about it. The metaphor worked so well and it was so funny. I was laughing out loud at the lyrics as subtitles. Yeah, like, it's really exciting at first, and by the evening, nobody cares. It's old news. Yeah, it's a super famous song. Super famous song. I'm, like, super familiar with it. It always plays in grocery stores there. (laughs) Um, Well, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, Yeah. and she is great. I mean, obviously, she's a trained, like, Daniela Vega is a trained singer, so, like, this was an obvious, like, highlight of those skills, but it was super fun to see Orlando, like, there and supporting her when she had to perform on her birthday. But also, it seems like because she also has another job, like, singing is her, like, outlet and passion in addition to a second source of income. Anyway, that's not that important. Um, Orlando sees her and they're, you know, kind of giving flirty eyes and then they go to a super fun Chinese restaurant. Another fun fact about Santiago, there's a ton of Chinese people there. And so there's a ton of Chinese restaurants, like, a ton of Chinese restaurants. Mark, yeah. do you know how we would say Jack in the Box in Chinese? Yeah. I, I guess it would just be like Jack, like whatever transliteration they have for Jack. Zai He Li. I'm just trying Sorry, to like get a visual I, yeah. picture 
a sense image of Santiago. I think you could, like, that would be it. It's like Jack inside the box. But Chinese doesn't have articles. So it's right. just like Jack in, bo- like, Jack at box inside. Anyway, sorry. I was, that really threw me for a loop. I had to do some thinking there. I did love hearing them saying happy birthday in Chinese. Which is another one of those things, kind of, that you see in movies from around the world is the ubiquity of the happy birthday song. Mm-hmm. And, like, I mean, it's also super sweet. Like, they're, like, super nice to her and him. And, like, they have a great day. And then also, I just literally remember that at that party or the celebration, he brings out a surprise trip to Iguazu Falls, which are incredible place I have not been. But this Mark also said, like, never every time there's planning in movies, we're 10 days out, like something bad is going to happen. Yeah, I knew the conceit of the film. But even if I didn't, if he said, we have a trip planned for 10 days from now, that we're both very excited about, I could have guessed what would happen next. That is how movies have trained me. I will say I was kind of bummed because I was really hoping she would find the tickets in his locker. And I was like, maybe like after all this crap, she'll get to go to the waterfall. I think the movie wanted you to think that way too. And it Well, was, it worked. It worked because that's what I also thought. And it was crushing when it didn't happen. Yeah. One of the things that I really love about this whole scene sequence is just the amount. I think like we're going to talk obviously about light later, but like the amount of tenderness in their relationship that's obviously like coded or kind of blanketed in the darkness of this night where like every room is kind of dark and like they're outside on a roof deck and like it kind of feels like like a big hug the whole time of like the nighttime is the time where they can be together but like it isn't just something that's hidden you know like you can tell that the love between them is so real and like just like a lot of tenderness in those scenes They do a very good job of establishing how deep their relationship is in a very little amount of time. Yeah, it's really impressive. Because normally I would be like, even if you wanted to analyze like the romance of those 15 minutes, like there is no arc. It's obvious that they've been in a relationship for a really long time and that they're like very close. Obviously, she's moved in with him. And like, it's just quite clear that they just have a lot of affection and care for each other in a way that I think is kind of like flipping the script of probably what everyone else's expectations are of this relationship, which we come to find out from the doctor and the family members and the the sexual crime investigator and everyone like has a different conception of what it is. And so the whole time you're going through the movie and being like angry, so angry at everyone for not understanding this relationship because they just haven't seen it. And like, maybe that's like the difference between, you know, the night and the day that they bring, which kind of brings us to our second point. That night, after they have a wonderful evening out and celebration and have a little lovemaking, then Orlando wakes up in the middle of the night um, with a headache and what's a, kind of a chest pain. Like, it seems that he's he can't stand up on his own and he winds up 
kind of feigning, so she rushes to get him outside to the hospital. We later find out that he had an aneurysm. Yes, yeah, which I I thought this was also a really interesting depiction. It, like, took so long for them to get, like, you know how long those minutes are when you're going to the hospital? I don't know if you've ever been rushed to the hospital, but it feels like forever. When I, one time I cut off my heel, and it feels like an eternity between that injury and or like that moment of pain and like being at the hospital and like it is interesting to see like how much care she puts in for him how much she's like trying to support him and put him against a wall he winds up falling down the stairs which is why people wind up later suspecting some foul play but it's all like she's just trying to take care of him and yet like all these things are happening that she are out of her control. She rushes him to the hospital. And after being able to kind of waiting outside, she winds up finding out that Orlando has passed away. And then the doctor takes her to go, you know, talk. Um, And there's a lot of grief in that moment. One of the things that I found really horrifying in this scene was just the way that the doctor like treated her when she was trying to be there and which like in other situations, a family member would be allowed to like remain around, but it constantly felt like the camera and the body language of everyone was othering her in a way that like in a romance, a typical, like I guess typical couple, perhaps she would be able to like be there and be close and be like informed all the time. And it felt like she was apart from everything she's treated as this person who brought him in rather than a part of his life which is like a good thing about the questions that they're asking like oh are you a family member and she says no but she is really his family in this moment and so it's hard because like those identities when you don't perhaps identify with your original identity or don't have like official documentation like you can get pushed out of the side really easily but mark did comment that like some of the healthcare workers were very accepting and trying to keep her informed and that was just yeah there was a nurse with really good bedside manner and that nurse is the first person daniela vega marina uses the word partner with where at first she says are you family no and later she says i'm his partner and i did check with nick that does have the same meaning as it does in english of you know long-term companion just not officially married So you're also constantly learning about their relationship, like as this is unfolding, like you're learning just how deep it is, because you don't have a lot of context for it. Like you can tell that they have a lot of tenderness in the scenes before. But now you really are starting to like, get the facts, which is kind of how things are at a hospital where they're constantly asking you for information. But in this way, it comes out really organically in the conversations that they are long term partners that they are like established, but yet, there's no way to prove that, which is so hard to see. Yeah, and then the police show up, and obviously it gets bad. The police and the doctor continuously dead name her. Oh my god. And you do, even before that's starting to happen, just when she's pulled aside, like every time she gets pulled off by somebody, you just have this sense of dread. Yeah. Because her status is so uncertain. Even though, like, to us, the viewer, it's so clear. But, like, without someone who doesn't have the contact, like, even the lights in the hospital are, like, so bright. And it's, like, an examination of who she is and, like, who what her relationship is. And so, like, that's a key part of this romance is, like, we know what's happening the whole time in the movie. But it's so hard because no one else has the context that we do. And so it's like once the day comes and things come to light, then it's really hard. Also, there is a point where she runs away to try to get some space. 
And that winds up being a big thing, which is so natural for someone to want to like walk and give some space, especially after being pulled aside by multiple people and questioned about your identity. Like, of course you would want to run away, but like she isn't allowed to have a normal human reaction or like everything that she does do is questioned by everyone else. Yeah, I think one of the things that's well constructed in this movie is she is so focused on like what's going on with him, what happened. And he has these bruises from falling down the stairs while he was having his aneurysm, which is like for her kind of like the single worst way that he could be injured because, oh, they fell down the stairs is the sort of cover up that people use for abuse. Mm hmm. Yeah. Why did he go to the stairs? Because <laughs> he thought he was fine. I know. It was <laughs> like he was so trying to painful. go outside. Yeah. yeah. I was particularly struck, especially in the hospital, but in other parts as well, like when she's talking to the investigator the next day about Daniela Vega's use of her body and stance. And I think the movie does a really good job of highlighting the way that because of other people's lack of acceptance of her identity, like in many cases, her existence has to be oriented towards a state of defiance. Mm -hmm. That so much of what she does has to be based around asserting her identity. And I think that Daniela Vega does that really well through body language in the ways that she refuses to back down. But at the same time, she manages to maintain her composure in the face of vehement abuse throughout the movie. And at the same time is holding herself with such assertion of who she is and dignity while people are just piling abuse onto her. And she's the body language, her physical acting, as well as her tone. I just don't understand how anyone could put up with that the way people talk to her so calmly. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I, I was trying to think of like, I think it's also like, not only is it like her gender identity, but then also like the, the gender nature of it where like people like even when she tries to stick up for herself, then people are just like kind of dismissing her. And like, they don't think she's a real like threat to anyone. But she continuously shows that like, she's not going to back down. And I think that that is it's really a powerful choice to like never put her in like the victim's corner because you know who she is the whole time and like the people around her constantly are victimizing her and yet you never identify her as a victim like she is constantly the hero of her own story to me at least yeah so then um unfortunately i mean there's a lot of fallout when people die so i guess point three was going to be that we kind of engage with the ex-wife of orlando So we kind of get to see like the two relationships kind of juxtaposed in a really important way. So in the fallout of this, there is one family member who comes who appears to be the only one that Marina really knows well, which is Gabo. Which I think is Orlando's brother, maybe? Yeah, yeah. I think so. And Gabo winds up being like relatively supportive of her at the hospital and winds up calling her being like, oh, well, he's going to get cremated as he wanted. I think we should have some of the ashes. And like, I don't really know what their relationship is apart from this, but I think maybe he's the only one who seems to understand who she is and what they went through. Or maybe he's just trying to be nice to someone who lost someone. I don't know what the context is there. I really wonder how much of a relationship 
Orlando has had with the rest of his family mm-hmm. over the last probably several years. Yeah. I mean, it seems like they've, he's had no relationship with virtually anyone, including his own son who shows up later, but it doesn't seem like they're that close. And the son is constantly trying to defend himself against the threat of Marina, which is just to say like he's unfamiliar with this situation, which I feel like means Orlando ever since he started dating Daniela Vega that he hasn't been close to his family. Yeah, I got the vibe that Gabo was maybe the exception of that, Mm -hmm. perhaps because he was supportive either of the divorce or of dating Daniela Vega, which then enhances the strangeness for Marina of these people suddenly entering the life. It's not like these are people that Orlando has been engaging with. Mm -hmm. It's like cockroaches who like you see in the light, but like the cockroaches were fine in the darkness. And now like Sonia and everyone is like coming out of the woodwork. And it's terrifying to see like all these vermin piling on. And it's so interesting to see Sonia relate to so um, Sonia winds up calling Marina and asking for the car, which is a relatively understandable division of assets. Obviously, she wants the apartment, but she says, I need the car. And one of the really interesting things is that every time that there's like a big moment, she winds up seeing Orlando in some way. So like in some ways, the relationship continues to appear in this like magical realism sense throughout where like the next time that she sees Orlando is in the back of a car while she's at the car wash, getting the car wash to go drop it off to Sonia. And it's like kind of this like flash of like, we know something big is happening and we know that there's going to be like a crux. And like the thing that you have to remember now is the context of what you saw at the beginning of the movie that like this person was so important and continues to like not haunt her but like follow her through these difficult moments where like then she goes and talks to Sonia and Sonia is relatively kind at the beginning and then just kind of goes off on her saying that like this relationship was perverted that I don't understand it and probably out of hurt but also out of complete ignorance and intolerance for who Marina is and it's just hard to watch someone who like seems so nice and posh and cool on the surface like show that ugly evil side within them of like that intolerance and that's why i thought it was so interesting to see those two relationships not even like juxtaposed because you never get to see sonia with orlando but you get to know sonia very well very quickly one thing i find interesting is it's never confirmed but you kind of get the sense that marina and orlando may have started dating while he was still married to sonia and so you understand that there would be some anger there But the way she expresses it is so disgusting. And then you kind of get why Orlando left Sonia. (laughs) Yeah, I also got a sense of that timeline, which I think complicates it, but does not come anywhere close to excusing the behavior of Sonia and the rest of her family. No, and the weirdest part about Sonia is it seems that she almost never accepted the divorce. Because she constantly refers to him as my husband. And in the obituary, she even says is survived by a wife and children. And it's like, no, he didn't have... (laughs) You are not his wife. (laughs) You (laughs) were divorced. Like, you can't just take on the mantle of wife now that he's dead and can't defend himself. I imagine she had some sense that this was 
an act of folly and at some point he would return to his family. When, in fact, the Orlando we see at the beginning of the movie is one who is extraordinarily happy in his life. And one of the interesting things that I find about this relationship is the, and I think this gets to kind of the point that Mark was making, that, like, there's a big part of romance or relationships that (laughs) has to do with those, like, terrible emotions even when someone dies. And, like, the way that she, Sonia, is allowed to celebrate grief or, like, express grief, but... Marina is not like Marina has to be defiant in every situation even when she like wants that human right to be able to for instance go to the wake that she isn't allowed to go to according to Sonia like she isn't allowed to be a human in that sense like this is not a basic human right for someone like her. So it's like these constant like reminders of not only is it like obvious that when she calls her perverted that like this is dehumanizing, but like to be denied basic rights for someone who even like she should, even if she was a friend, she should be allowed to go to the the wake, but she just isn't like allowed those human emotions or like that human thing except for strength, which is just a really horrifying thing to imagine for you. You can't express those emotions because of your identity. And so I think that that's a really interesting like way to think about her. like her relationship and the way that it falls out because grief isn't allowed and even when she's with people that are her ostensible allies like her sister and her music teacher she still doesn't feel comfortable expressing the depth of the grief that she's clearly feeling because she just no one is allowing her to feel it and it's just heartbreaking to watch well, it it comes back to that question of identity where even in those circumstances, the people around her are doing a lot of work to set the boundaries of her identity. Where her music teacher, who has this nice relationship with her, is really like, I'm here to do music with you. Which, you know, he's not her therapist. <laughs> right. Like, he does. He is very kind to her, and they clearly have a very tender relationship, but he's also like, I am your music professor. I am not your father or your therapist. I think he even recommends a therapist for her, though. But it's even like when she's in the car with her sister and her sister's partner, the sister continues to ask questions to try to, like, elicit the emotions. And then the partner will say something that, like, then kind of sets us back to, like, some weird... Even though he's very accepting, you can tell, he still has those microaggressions that, like, then send her and the whole car back to, like, okay... We got to be strong. Like we have to to fight every moment. We can't like do anything. Like no one is tender to her except for maybe her sister. And even then it's like that relationship can't be the way that it needs to be right now. Because when they're driving, her sister's like, you can stay with us for as long as you want. And it is like a moment where the sister's clearly trying to open that bridge. But her sister's partner immediately is like, "Mm, well, I don't know. Like... He agrees, but it's so clearly forced. Yeah. Because this is after Marina has been kicked out of the apartment (laughs) that she lives in. By the son of Orlando, who's named Bruno? Yeah, I think Bruno. Uh, Bruno is... Red flag name. Right? Bruno is such a red... In Spanish, it's like way more red flaggy. Like, no one is named Bruno. Because it's like, just, it's like, that. it sounds like brute. Like, it is not okay. And he's such a brute. Like, he's just such a pig in the house. And, like, he continues to, like, push her around. I think he, like, brings out her dress and, like, hangs it on the wall in, like, a mocking flag, basically, to her. That, like, it's a yellow flag. Like, a warning. 
basically. It's alarming. It's terrifying to see. And so she just like every every moment, like even the house that they had built together, like, you know what I mean? Like that she was moving into, like she can't be at home there. And it's interesting because Sonia is like, you need to leave, but is much more willing to give her the time to find a place when they're talking in the garage. But Bruno's like, no, you have to leave now. Like you don't have any right to stay here. And it's just like, this is where she lives. Like she needs time to find a new place. And she's willing to move because, I mean, I would move and also I doubt anyone can afford that apartment. <laughs> it is a insanely nice apartment. Well, Orlando was rolling in that textile money. <laughs> he was like a textile baron, I think. Mm-hmm. Very Chilean. And then she winds up going to, well, in the face of all this defiance and, you know, like pushing her out and not having those, you know, human moments. She runs out of the car while um, the sister is stopped at a red light and runs to the wake and winds up bursting into the church and standing there. And everyone just is, I mean, I could feel in that moment where I just kept going like, go back, don't go in there, like like a haunted house or something or like a scary movie. I was just like, I know this is going to be bad. And Sonia basically stands up and tells her, to leave like yet again and i mean i can imagine like like, shouts her out of the church exactly i mean yeah and like (laughs) gabo runs after her and like tries to console her but it's like there's nothing there one of the worst moments is as she's being forced out of the church this random woman is like how dare you can't you let these people grieve and it's just how dare you can't you let people (laughs) grieve like where do you get off, strange lady? <laughs> what does this woman think is happening? Like, people don't casually wander into funerals. Yeah. Like, clearly she is there for a reason. I mean, I think it's also just, like, everyone knows about her, and everyone has heard, like, one side of the story. And it's, again, like, this whole flood of people who weren't a part of her life that now are deciding what she gets to do with her life which is i'm sure how it feels to be like completely alone in your identity and have like your one ally like to d- die it's like then she has to you know fight every step of the way i thought it was also interesting to bring like the church into it a little bit even though it's not like super big or you know monolith it's like but this monolith especially when she's talking to gabo like looming behind them and i think that like i mean a big part of the intolerance towards trans people and queer people in general in chile is related to like how religious people are there and i think it was interesting to like bring that in a little bit even though it was obvious like he didn't have a very traditional funeral he got cremated you know etc like you would think maybe that like in typical like american funerals there might be like more presence of the church but like it's just this looming monolith that then she runs away from is cremation a big deal do you know for a long time it was prohibited in catholicism but it is no longer i believe but no one gets cremated there they have cemeteries out the wazoo in santiago there's a whole city in santiago that's just cemeteries so like people get buried so it was interesting to see that too like obviously that he was breaking from a mold that he probably was supposed to be in but like for good reason like he's not like part of that culture that does make sense because when gabo calls marina and is saying like hey 
Orlando wants to be cremated. It does have this sense of strangeness mm -hmm. around that information. And Gabo is trying to reach out like, that means you can have a piece of him. Yeah, but exactly. Marina rejects it in part because she's like she doesn't want a piece of him on the side. She wants recognition of the actual role that she played and that he played with her. Mm -hmm. And she even says, "This is just you trying to assuage your guilt of not fighting to let me come to the wake." Yeah, which I thought was very brave to force out into the open. And then after the wake, she after running away from the wake, Bruno and his thuggy friends come up in a sad chevy and start like calling her names while she's walking along the street chasing her down with the car really slowly like in her defiance she winds up setting them off in some way i think she was trying to get out of it and they just go off on her grab her put her in the car and then do a super common torture technique in chile which is putting tape around people's faces really tightly to basically deform them and that was a super interesting image to see especially for like someone who already feels like a monster in society probably like or out of place or you know like a face that people don't want to see to like then have her look into a reflection of her face all distorted with that tape was like then you felt what she must feel like you got to look through her eyes and they use specifically homophobic slurs yeah. even yeah. though she's a woman although that's pretty common yeah like even for anyone who's queer right. to use yeah like just but it really emphasizes the disrespect of her identity mm -hmm. and she in the car is basically like bruno do you how you're disrespecting your father. Do you think this is what he would want from you? And you see almost a little guilt on Bruno's face, but he does absolutely nothing to stop the torture happening in the backseat. Right, that basically renders him silent rather than actively opposing. And she winds up after that, which we get our next Orlando sighting, which I think is in relation to this abuse that she suffers at the hands of, of someone that Orlando created, basically his son, where she goes to a club and winds up doing what you do at, you know, queer clubs, dancing and, you know, finding a partner and, you know, trying to like use those coping mechanisms that queer people all have, which is uh, perhaps, I mean, because she's refused the ability to celebrate her grief in an appropriate way, like she is forced to return to what I would say is like this blanketed darkness, but this time it feels different. There's like lots of bright strobe lights and everything. It's like this like police chase feeling in this club. Like she is trying to go back to a comfortable place, but is unable to. It's very disconcerting club. Like the music they chose. Music they chose. Is unsettling. You can't really tell the layout of the place. There's like all these walls up then weird places. Like she's like, it's like an obstacle course of a club. And she sees Orlando like in a, just one strobe light, basically, mm -hmm. like this shoot of light. And it's like, that's what she's reminded of. But she has to, you know, go back to the darkness. And then this is when we get the dance sequence. Amazing. <laughs> Iconic. I mean, it was the center point of the trailer. Like this <laughs> moment is, I was like, when is the dance happening? Because it was in every trailer I saw. Yeah. But it's such a good scene. Because it's the first time that there's even a remote sense of happiness in her life since Orlando died. And it's unreal. Like, it's tinged with unreality. 
I mean, and magical realism is like, I mean, a big part of Latin American film and television and literature. But it was an interesting way to like weave it in here where it isn't like we usually, I mean, typically it's like some real like narrative aspect. So it was interesting to see like what could be happening in real life, like enhanced and turned into something that is plausible yet completely fake. And I thought that that was like an interesting choice to celebrate because usually it's like a way to escape grief in magical realism stories. What a what a movie! What a what a movie! Which brings us to our last point. Later, later on, I'm not sure. I what think the, it's like the next day. Maybe so it's the next day. It's the wake that she. Goes to, and then the next day is the actual funeral at the funeral home, not the church. And she shows up, like, after the service, and unfortunately, as she's walking up, Sonia, Bruno, and Gabo are driving away, and they're just like, how dare you come? And you're just like, she came after the service. (laughs) Like, it's clearly shows that they don't think that she has any right to express grief. It's not just coming from, oh, I want to protect my children, which is Sonia's excuse. It's clearly just coming from they don't believe that she is allowed to feel any grief. But this is a moment where Bruno misgenders her and Gabo is actually, you know, says, no, she's a woman named Marina but very weakly because Gabo is pretty, like he's the weakest form of ally you could possibly be. Yeah. Then this is like our real defiance moment where she like gets up on the car and starts just like screaming down at them. And I thought that that was like, I mean, of course it's like what they would expect out of her, you know what I mean? But finally we see like this big moment of standing up against her oppressors. And like, I was just cheering her on. The whole time. It's fairly cathartic. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. so cathartic for you to like having seen this whole story unfold and know the context. And then finally, like this big outburst. And she's screaming, I want my dog because Orlando has given her his German shepherd named Diabla. And Bruno is wants is basically like, I don't like the dog, but I don't want you to have it. (laughs) So she is just wants this part of her life with Orlando back. And like one thing. If she can have one thing, it would be like a symbol of Orlando that she could keep. But yeah. Um, She winds up the last time she ever sees Orlando is right as she's going into the funeral home. She finds the cremation room. And she follows a vision of Orlando to the cremation room. They actually have a kiss. Like she kisses the vision of Orlando in the hallway before going in and she manages to find his body before it's cremated and the people working there allow her to have a goodbye before he's cremated (laughs) so it's so sad but it's really like I mean then it's like kind of comes full circle you know what I Mm -hmm. mean to me like then it's like she's been following this vision or the vision's been following her around and finally she gets to like engage with the vision and then engage with his body one more time and it's like our final like goodbye which is just like all she's wanted the whole time in this movie is like to be able to express her grief and like connect with him one more time and be safe and then 
like right before he goes, um, which I just think is, it was a great setup for that ending. Mm -hmm. And then after that, the last part of the movie is her trying to rebuild where she figures out what the key that she found in Orlando's things at the hospital is for. And she goes and goes to the sauna. And one of the most painful moments in this entire movie is she goes into the sauna and goes into the women's section. But she puts her hair up and puts her towel just around her waist and goes through the men's locker room to find his locker. And it's just heartbreaking to watch this moment it's one final indignity after all of this and then she opens the locker and you're the build-up you think that there's going to be the tickets and she can make it out to the falls and have a nice moment but instead there's just nothing in it and it zooms in on the empty black locker and oh it's so painful so she's just like really left alone at that moment to like this is the this is the indignity that she has suffered and she gets like nothing out of it Except then we see her trying to rebuild her life mm-hmm. by going for a run with Diabla, who she apparently seemed to have gotten back. Mm-hmm. And she's in an apartment on her own with Diabla. Mm-hmm. She's going for a run. And then the last shot of the movie, she's performing at a concert with her professor, like in a pretty nice music venue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like it. And I mean, clearly she is talented. She is an incredible singer. I think she, uh I read that she's a mezzo soprano, <laughs> and so she's just singing like an aria. And the movie ends with her kind of smiling at the audience. But it's interesting this time because she's yeah, for instance, gone out into the night. Like if we're talking about the light and dark, but this time the spotlight is on her. You know, like and finally, it's not all these cockroaches coming out into the daylight and all these like indignity. Like she has all the power and dignity in that moment. And it's every, like, she's the one that everyone's watching. And, like, she's above everyone. And I think that that's, like, a brilliant way to end this, like, light-dark dichotomy. <sighs> Good movie. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Yeah. So, oh, man. Um, <laughs> it, it seems kind of silly to do some of these questions at the I end know. of this discussion. But do we find the, the romance here believable? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think we we all agree that we do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the things that we do every week is take the romantic plotline of a movie and rate its believability on a scale from zero to ten. And so, Nick, in particular, I'm curious where you would place the romance of a fantastic woman. I'd probably say, I mean, it's hard to give something a ten. You know what I mean? Like then it would just be like real life. Um, I'd probably give it a, a nine. I think it's as believable as it could be with having magical realism elements in it and like not really, I mean, we don't get to see everything, but I think it's relatively believable that their tenderness was real, that like this was a real relationship that could happen in the world. And yet to like also see everything that goes around this relationship is totally a legitimate way that people would react and feel. Um, Do I think people would be honestly as nice as they were? Because there are some really nice people in this. I mean, I'm glad she has allies, but like, if that's a part of this relationship that we're talking about, then I would honestly believe that in the context and at the time, my one point is that people probably would be worse, which is terrible. I don't know. I'm leaning towards giving it a 10. I think I'm inclined to as well, based on a lot of what you said, Nick. Yeah. Uh, and you know the Chilean landscape better than I do. Um, so I trust you on that, given the timelines. But in terms of, especially at its core, this relationship between Marina and Orlando, I think is tender and heartfelt 
in a believable way, as is sort of the complication of his family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 9.5. <laughs> All right. Uh. I, feel like, I feel like a teacher where it's so hard to give a 100 on an essay, so you just give it a 95 <laughs> and call it a day. There's always a comma that's wrong. <laughs> um, do we think that Orlando and Marina are dateable leads? I mean, the little you see of Orlando... He is very caring. He's a textile baron, <laughs> apparently. Um, My kind of man. <laughs> he's got a good taste in vacation, it seems. Uh-huh. Iguazu Falls, solid yeah. choice. So I would say Orlando is dateable. Um, Marina, also, yeah, she's yeah. very kind throughout the movie. In a situation where you should, like, you wouldn't expect her to be able to be kind. She's also obviously super smart and super capable and, like, is caring for people, especially, like, her boss at the, like, if we get to see a relationship that really, you know, unfolds, it would probably be the one between her boss and her. And it's just, like, a really good relationship, even though there's complications and she can be stubborn, but, like, why wouldn't you be? in this situation that she's yeah. in. Yeah, I think they both are. Um, if you had to pick one person in this movie to date, who would it be? Considering there are, like, two good people, a few supportive people that could be better, and then everyone else is terrible, <laughs> doesn't give you a ton of options. I did really like her sister. Great overalls. She seemed nice, but I think Orlando is honestly... My top choice. I think it's Orlando. Yeah. I want to go on vacation. Yeah. I want to go, I want to, go to Iguazu Falls. Falls. I want to get it paid for too. Heck, I want to leave my apartment. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, many of the movies we've covered on this podcast have been adapted into stage musicals. Nick, do you think hmm. Broadway's return should include A Fantastic Woman? I'm worried that while I think there are certain elements that would translate well... I worry that you would have to distill down the important messages and the complicated relationships too much to be put into song. What about an opera? Ooh, I'm down. I was thinking this could make a good stage play Mm -hmm. to engage with some of these ideas. I do think that if we're incorporating music, opera is the way to go. I don't think it could be a musical. I think it could be a good play. And I think if you were going to... Yeah, add music. I think it would have to be operatic. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if there's any like genre of or medium to express tragedy and grief, I feel like opera's got that pretty down. (laughs) That's what it's for. That's what it's for. All right. I think that's it. Any last comments besides go watch it? Can't express that enough. (laughs) No? Well, I think if that's it, then it's time to look towards next week when we will be jumping to a different sort of community, that of a historically black college in Spike Lee's School Days, which is streaming on Netflix right now. Oh, love to hear it. Uh, I have—I don't know if I've ever seen a Spike Lee movie except for Black Klansmen, so I'm excited to go back to one of his older movies. I've been watching a bunch of them this summer, and this is a gap that I'm looking forward to filling in. But Mark, while you're looking for some Spike Lee, Do the Right Thing is on Peacock. I do have Peacock through my Xfinity subscription. Premium Peacock content, baby. Gotta gotta say, highly recommend that one. And a good one to check out maybe before we talk school days. Okay. 
I will keep that in mind. But until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at Love the Love Pod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Reviews on Apple Podcasts in particular help new people to find the show. All right, Nick, last question. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? Get regular massages (laughs) with your partner. (laughs) I mean, my idea was buy your partner tickets to go to Iguazu Falls. Nice. (laughs) And only those falls. I was going to say be supportive of your partner's interests the way that Orlando goes to see her perform. All right, there you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye. Bye.